I am deeply grateful and I am always deeply respectful of the work that marginalized folks do to uplift the values when sometimes those values fall short from those who hold those seats of power to ensure that we're going to be able to have the type of democracy that will make sure we all thrive and that we are not left behind. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. In his acceptance speech, President-elect Joe Biden declared that racial justice would be a key focus of his administration. What is the state of racial justice now, and what should racial justice work focus on? To discuss this, we turn to Kaya Morris. Morris served as a Vermont state representative from Bennington from 2014 to 2018. She was the second African-American woman to be elected to the legislature in Vermont history. She resigned in 2018 following racist harassment from a self-avowed white nationalist in Bennington. Kaya Morris is now Movement Politics Director in Vermont for Rights and Democracy. Kaya Morris, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. I want to start by getting your reaction to this historic week. Uh, and, and first of all, what are your thoughts on the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I think it's so important. It was such a key, key thing to be able to um, really send a clear message within not only our country, but our global community that we will not tolerate fascism, that we will not accept a totalitarian regime. We will not abide by the destruction of democracy. That we are really demanding and needing for a sea change in how we relate to one another and how we see ourselves as global leaders. It was beautiful and historic in its own way. Um, but it's definitely showing that there are major challenges ahead. What does the election of Kamala Harris as the first female uh, to hold one of the two high offices, uh, what does that signify to you? And not to mention first woman of color, uh, many firsts, uh, first woman of South Asian descent, of Caribbean descent, uh, et cetera. It's pretty powerful. It is pretty powerful. It almost doesn't seem real. Um, it's one of those things where you have lived with a message of impossibility for so long, and it constantly gets reinforced in multiple ways through tons of pundits and um, electoral consultants and all the strategists that will tell you what is and is not possible. And here was a situation where we saw that it was very clearly possible and it was something that was wanted and needed. And so I hope this creates a sea change of us moving towards a more hopeful vision and a more unified goal of changing up how we think <laughs> electoral politics should look and who should hold those seats of power. This was a beautiful moment for women. It was a beautiful moment for women of color who have been the backbone of this country since its founding and have bore many, many of the modes of oppression all at the same time while still pushing forward and carrying our electorate, um, delivering wins organizing and supporting and healing our communities in ways that we can be activated and be a part of this process. So it is 
something that I am definitely celebrating. And it's something that is resonant. It's absolutely resonant. What did it mean to you when Joe Biden thanked, singled out women of color? Actually, I think it was Kamala Harris who singled out women of color. Joe Biden, Biden singled out African-American community in general as mm -hmm. the reason that he won. And uh, Kamala Harris speaking about women of color who so often are have their, you know, the, the sense that Democrats just assume their support when in fact their support has been essential uh, in this victory and in so many others. But what were your thoughts when you heard that? I think that it was, I think it's true. I think it is a clear truth. African-American women, women of color, we approach this work as something that's necessary for our survival. We don't just do this as something that um, feels trendy or something that we feel pressure for. That, that's actually a gift in some ways that we don't have some of the same societal pressures to feel that you have to vote alongside your spouse or your partner, or that um, it will change our social status. What we recognize is the fact that supporting the Democratic Party was going to be a matter of life and death for us because we are seeing our children being killed on the streets by the hands of police officers. We are seeing our children dying in our school systems, <laughs> being having the spirits choked out of them through carceral systems that are not delivering what they are promising. We are seeing what's happened when we have been forgotten about and neglected within public policy so that our economic futures are stymied and that our communities are not able to thrive. We see that and feel that acutely in our bones. And we've always been ready to, to step into this work and to be a key part of this work. Um, even if folks were not completely sure that Joe Biden was gonna be able to deliver on the promises that he was making. And we know that this is not necessarily gonna be the case. It never is for anyone that steps into that seat of power. I have no idea the weight that that carries to feel those pressures coming from all sides on trying to make the right decision for an entire nation. So there definitely will be oscillation away from some of the things that we would want to hold on to as true values, but that does not mean in any way, shape or form that we're gonna turn away from this moment and allow someone who is openly racist, openly sexist, is xenophobic, is ableist, and is, has no one's best interest in heart other than their own and the accumulation of wealth and the support of the continued um, wealth gap for whites to the detriment of the rest of the country, we couldn't stand by and let that happen. And so we're gonna show up every single time. And it's not that Kamala getting into office as well was something that's like, well, it's our turn, we've earned it. It's not something that we should ever have had to earn because it's our birthright. If we have an opportunity to run, it is our birthright to step into those seats of power. So it was just time for power to concede and allow for us to do the type of leadership that we've been doing all along. So I am deeply grateful and I am always deeply respectful of the work that marginalized folks do to uplift the values when sometimes those values fall short from those who hold those seats of power to ensure that we're gonna be able to have the type of democracy that will make sure we all thrive and that we are not left behind. Joe Biden cited racial justice as one of four key priority areas that he wants to address. What would you hope 
that a new administration does? What is the low-hanging fruit, the first steps that you would like to see taken to advance racial justice? The first steps that I would like to see to help advance racial justice is a complete overhaul of our criminal justice system and our penal system, looking at what's happened within our prison industrial complex and the grotesque nature of that for-profit system. Um, it feeds so many other areas of injustice in our communities. I would like to see true economic reform happen, one that uplifts communities of color who we've been doing that bootstrap game for a little too long um, without being able to have access to the kind of capital and the resources that others are able to have at hand because of our generational poverty that goes back centuries. Um, we need to tear down that dang border wall. We need to end these immigration policies that are creating divides between us and them that are telling those who are not white cisgendered able-bodied Christian males that you do not belong in this country and that you do not deserve children, <laughs> that you do not deserve family and you do not deserve dignity. Those things have to end. ICE, can we get rid of ICE? Can we do that already? We didn't need it before and we don't need it now. And it, all it does is continue to create an additional police state in places where it is thoroughly unneeded. Um, those are some of the things that I think when I'm coming to mind about how we can try to make some major shifts. There's pieces in that first 100 days that need to happen. And those are some places that we absolutely need to look at right away. Talk a little bit about uh, the work that you were doing during this election with Rights and Democracy and your job and your work with them. It's pretty exciting work. It's groundbreaking work. And I'm super proud of it. We are looking differently at the ways that we both go about engaging community members, marginalized populations, to bring them from the margins into the center of power, having them be able to see themselves not only as elected officials, but as key influencers in changing and shaping our state. But we're trying to do this in a way that's also looking at um, what we call more movement politics. It's around building a relationship in a meaningful way. So less transactional, less, okay, we wanna lift up this particular candidate. And even though you have had no political experience or even though you're not even sure quite how our policy systems work or function, or even the different forces that are gonna be working against you as you're trying to advance the platforms that you got into office with, we're not gonna, again, continue this narrative of bootstraps where it says, go good luck, hope that works out for you, and then hold them accountable when they fall short of what we were hoping that they would be able to achieve. We have to look much more deeply at what are some of the major barriers that people are facing, not only to run, but then to serve. And then we also have to look at the barriers that are keeping um, actual political engagement from the constituencies on which they serve as well. So can we look at so many different aspects? So for example, right now in this moment, in this really heated charged moment where we're seeing threats coming from all sorts of places, um, a rise in the um, violent militia activity within our state. Um, you all know my story too well. And as I've said a million times, I am but one of many who have experienced this. And what we have found in this last electoral cycle is an alarming number of people who have stood up for issues of racial justice, for social justice, for the things that we believe are right and good. Um, being threatened, being directly threatened 
on a, on multiple fronts, their families being doxxed, having their information be put out there, having their children be placed at risk, their, their parents be placed at risk, all for their actions to serve, all for their desire to help make our state a better place. So can we, as rights and democracy, help think differently about what security actually means for those individuals so that we don't have, as we do this year, folks who are trying to decide whether or not it's worth it to step into this work? Is it worth it to sacrifice in the ways that they're going to sacrifice for this state to make it a better place? Is that the actual relationship that we want to have? Or is there a better way to be? And so those are the things that we're interrogating very deeply within our movement politics program and within the way that we think about movement governance and helping to support those folks that are in leadership. We're also looking at this moment in time where we have a lot of um, natural leaders who have stepped up to a call of action. We look at what's happened within the Black Lives Matter movement. You look at what happened within Battery Park in Burlington this year. And we have folks that have stepped into leadership roles that have never held those roles before. And again, similarly to our electeds are facing so many hurdles, so many challenges, and even direct threats on their lives as well. So how do we help them to step into their leadership in an effective way that those movements can be sustaining and the work of their heart lives somewhere beyond a couple of moments or a bumper sticker or a flag. I want to pick up on one of the uh, points you made about the white militias. Vermont Digger ran an investigative piece on uh, a right-wing militia compound known as Slate Ridge here in Vermont. Uh, you know, you hear some people dismissing this as grown-ups just outplaying army in the woods, but you have experience with the armed white supremacist movement and it appears that the white supremacist who harassed you and your family in Bennington is associated with Slate Ridge. Um, you tweeted this week, sorry, Vermont government, y'all can't gaslight this one. Own your negligence. What, explain what you mean by that. This has gone on too long. We have too many people who have struggled to have their voices heard. We have too many people who have struggled to have law enforcement take these threats seriously. Consider those folks. They've been dealing with this for four years with no remedy, none whatsoever. No safety plans put in place for them. No ways to help support them as their property values have declined. The fact that folks in that area have had to even sell off some of their livestock, their horses, because they've lived in shock. They're shocked by all of the constant military gunfire that's going around around their homes. The fact that they're wearing bulletproof vests to go about their everyday lives. And this has been a known fact for quite some time, but yet no action has actually happened. And understanding that this is complex, we do figure, we do know this, but this is not brand new. And this has not been a clarion call that just came into being. This is what we've been talking about. This is what we have borne on our backs. This is what my family has borne on our back for so long. And to know that this is happening to other Vermonters and that there's been nothing able to be done about it is just unacceptable. In this day and age, it is completely unacceptable. So to hear that they're saying that there's no criminal activity that can ever be made, to find out that there is nothing by the government standards, there's nothing wrong with what's happening, that the community has to live like that. It's really telling them, well, sucks to be you. Hope you figure out a better way out of it. That is, that is 
absolutely abhorrent to consider that that's the answer we have in this moment in time. What Our, would you like to see done about uh, this militia group? This is really terrifying for so many people. This has to end. This has to end. This militia group set up camp here on purpose. They came here because we have the lax laws we do. They come here because we have communities with no law enforcement. And even if we are going to defund the police, that shouldn't matter. And in this moment of time, there was no wrong door for them to go to. This is part of the challenge is that they had to build up a dossier of information in order to even be heard. And that's incredibly traumatizing. So what I would like to see happen as when somebody comes to you with these threats, you take them seriously and you help them find a solution to help them be whole again. You don't ask the question, well, what else should we do? Do you have more information? That is not on them to do. It is on them to live and to survive. It is on them to thrive in this moment. And so the state has to do more to deliver on that promise. So. What I would like to see done is I would like to see some sort of legal action taking place because that discretion is used and it needs to be used again. And the courts need to continue to be pressed to rethink what harm is and what their purpose is if it is not to remedy the harm that happens in society. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the work that is being done in Vermont now uh, by the Office of Racial Equity that's led by uh, Shusana Davis. Um, what are your thoughts on how that is going? I think that they're really trying in deep earnest to do deep dives and figure out some <laughs> really key key problems um, of how we have not addressed issues of racial injustice and racial inequity within our state. I think that um, the task force in itself is trying its darndest to get quality information, quality data analysis, and real engagement with the public on the work that they're trying to do. It was brought together in a hurry. Um, it's on a timeline that's almost unreasonable, um, but they're doing the best that they can. And um, that's just kind of how this works sometimes. It's like, well, you have to come up with a solution. If you're the one to complain, if you're the one to raise the issue, if you're the one to come with the concern, then you're the one that has to come up with a solution as well, instead of it being a much more collaborative process. So it's not surprising that that's what's happening right now, because it's basically like, well, we have egg on our face as a state, we need to fix it. Y'all go fix that. So that um, group itself, though, is beautiful to see in that it does have the diversity of experiences and of people that are there within that. Um, the intersectionality of their identities, I think, is so powerful. Um, and so I do hope that we're able to continue to build on that. Um, I think Susanna is doing the best she can within a system that was not really necessarily set up for her success. So um, I, I continue to uh, hold that work in high regard and appreciate the input that they provide as well to our legislature on multiple fronts. So you have um, sold your house in Bennington. You've moved to the Burlington area with your family. How are you doing now? You have been through a very public ordeal uh, involving racism and harassment and threats to your life. Um, tell us how you're doing. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, as well as we can be, right? <laughs> as well as we can be. This is still not resolved. Um, it's 
truly sad that, you know, looking at a community that I loved and not being able to feel comfortable down there, seeing how much unrest is still down there and how much work still needs to be done. It's not a place where we could feel safe. It's not a place where we could feel comfortable. It's not a place where you can feel at ease um, being and having a, a visible identity down there. Um, and that's unfortunate. Um, I am doing well. I'm loving the work that I'm doing and I'm appreciative of the opportunity to continue working with people across the state. I do worry. I do worry about other people. I do worry about other folks right now. Um, so that does always weigh on my heart and I'm gonna continue to fight and uh, push back and collaborate when I can <laughs> with those who are ready and willing to do the work. I guess that relates to a larger question that uh, you know, another uh, bit of data out of this election is that 70 million Americans looked at who Donald Trump is, his open embrace of white nationalism, his signaling to white uh, armed militias, and said, um, we want four more years of that. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? What do you make of that? Man, I don't understand. <laughs> it's a personal thing that's really difficult because we want to speak of it in political terms, but it's so personal because this really does have to do with people who cannot hide behind their identities. And essentially there's a transaction that was made that says we are so comfortable with where we are that we would rather continue to allow for this rhetoric to be heard, we think it's important as a part of our national conversation to continue to have hateful rhetoric um, coming out of our highest places of power, to continue to have policies that are lethal to entire swaths of our nation, to have people that say that as our global community, it's totally okay for us to check out and for us to move towards fascism, that this is an okay thing simply for the letter behind a politician's name, is it a D, an R, a P, an I, that that seriously given so much more weight than our actual humanity and our values. It's so befuddling to me um, because it doesn't have to be that way. And it makes it super, super hard, I think for many to see how are the folks on different political divides going to be able to come together when there is an entire political system that has very been clearly saying y'all are unimportant and sorry, <laughs> not sorry. We think it's fine the way it is. So that makes me very distressed. Um, and it also makes you a little distrustful as well of many people that you thought you knew, right? Like, why would you vote for, why would you vote for what is seen in many areas as um, a moral vacuum? So in the aftermath now of months of racial justice protests following the George Floyd killing, there is a new desire by institutions and individuals to address white supremacy as an idea mm -hmm. and as a, an experience and as mm -hmm. responsibility for it. Um, what do you see happening with that? What do you see the success and failure of the efforts that, that you see around you here in Vermont? And, and what is your message to people who are perhaps newly aware of mm. these issues and injustices? Mm. This is such an important time um, 
in this particular moment, what I need to say is those folks that are on the front line, those folks that are trying to educate our peers, our families, our community members, our neighbors um, about what's happening with racial injustice and trying to get to a place of anti-racism, um, folks are tired. <laughs> so um, it's, it's incredibly exhausting in this particular moment where we feel like some of us feel like we've been building up so hard to try to get our voices heard. Um, and so in this particular time, while you may want to listen, we don't always want to talk, right? So honor that we're all in a really delicate place and try to come with a space of grace around that. And in recognizing as well that um, those that you respect and that you love who can help you understand this work, are not obligated to do so, but if they do so, it is a dear act of love. And so to have a, a willingness to go on that journey with them as they step back into their voices. You have to keep reading and you have to keep learning. Keep reaching out and keep reaching up um, and make sure that your people are okay. Okay, well, Kaya Morris, I wanna thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much, David, always a pleasure. That was Kaya Morris, a former Vermont State Representative and now the Movement Politics Director for Rights and Democracy.